Welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer in communications for Chapter 49. I'm also a retiree. We welcome you to our weekly podcast. It's weekly most of the time. And we are here with Duncan Giles, our chapter president for Chapter 49. So, uh, Duncan, welcome back. Thanks, Larry. It's always good to be here. And we are chock full of subjects. Some Sometime, because we started this podcast after COVID hit, well, after COVID hit, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the time where you and I can start the podcast and say, you know, nothing's going wrong. Everything's fine. <laughs> We're just, uh, just wanted to let you know. Bye for now. Amen to that. I, I would love that type of podcast. But we haven't uh, been even close to that <laughs> after over a year of this. So we shall uh, move forward and, and, and uh, go with our podcast. We're going to start off this, and I think it's the same lead story we had a week ago. That's the debt ceiling and government shutdown. You may recall we, call, we talked about that before. It was a last-minute deal that was reached in the Senate to not so it's not a solution but uh, a temporary fix so the government will not shut down the debt ceiling will not be reached but that extension only goes through early december the deadlines are a little bit not exactly the same day but they're pretty close to the same time and each one has its own ugly uh, aftermath so um we talked about the last time we we uh, talked i asked you what what your view was as to whether or not the Congress and the president could come together on this. It doesn't look good now, but it didn't look good before. And a last minute deal was reached, even though it was temporary. Um, you've been reading a lot about this and so have I, what's your best guess is where we're going on this. Um, I, despite their best efforts to do a Thelma and Louise uh, ending, I'm hoping it doesn't go that way off the cliff. Uh I think that it was a very unsatisfactory ending for the debt ceiling to basically kick the can down the road for six weeks or so. Um, we've got the government shutdown still looming December 3rd, unless they pass another uh, short-term bill or actually pass an appropriations bill. And that would scare all of us, I think. Um, I, I, I don't like it when either party plays games with either the work of the federal government or the debt ceiling. And, you know, when you hear things about, well, you know, we don't want to pass this because we don't want it to, uh, you know, we don't want it to pay for these things in the future. The debt ceiling's about, as I've said before, stuff in the past, it's already been passed. So it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican everybody's got a uh, everybody's got a piece of this action and it just needs to be passed so that the uh, the faith of the federal government can go forward as to passing an appropriations bill it's obviously needed just for those of you who are not fans of classic films let me tell you what he means by his uh, Thelma Louise <laughs> <laughs> film <laughs> I don't want to. I hate to give you a spoiler, but this film has been out for a long time. They end the film taking their car and literally taking it off a cliff, and we all know what happened after that. So, uh, what uh, Duncan is trying to say is, uh, we don't want this to end like Thelma and Louise. So, I think I laid it out pretty clearly there, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. We just we just want to make sure that Congress does what it needs to do. Period. 
Well, and it's their job to come up with a budget. It is a job for them to raise the debt ceiling. And if they simply say, I'm not, I'm going, I'm not going to raise the debt ceiling, I'm taking my ball and going home, uh, the game stops. <laughs> and it stops pretty tragically. It's not funny. It's, it, it stops pretty tragically for not just the nation, it's the world. I, this is a yeah. worldwide issue if we don't raise the debt ceiling. It would I, crash. I couldn't agree more. It crashes markets, bond markets, central banks, everything you can think of that is traded or tied to the world economy as we know it today would crash if we don't raise the debt ceiling. So it's not like a government shutdown, which is bad. Don't get me wrong. It's bad enough. Debt ceiling is much worse. And uh, I just have this feeling that uh, even if some people say I'm, I'm, there was a famous quote from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan ran for governor of California in the early 60s, and he made it clear he's not going to have any tax increases while he's governor. His feet were in concrete. He was never going to do it. Well, it was pretty clear as California was growing fast, he was going to have to raise taxes. And the press was all ready to pounce on him. And he walked up to the to the, the rostrum for his news conference to give his opening statement. He looked at the press corps and said, what you are seeing today is concrete crumbling around my feet. <laughs> In other words, uh, yeah, I did say that, but I'm going to have to say I, I can't stand by that anymore. Things have changed. I have to change my view on that. Uh, so I think that we, we, we have to keep an eye on this. And I do think that the banking world and the business community and, quite frankly, the international economic system will wield tremendous pressure on the Congress to get this done or just do what I think should have been done years ago. If you look at the history of it, there is no need to have a debt ceiling at this, this day and age. Just eliminate it. That would make way too much sense. It's been brought forward uh, at different times by members of both parties, but apparently that makes way too much sense, so that can't work. So we just want to keep people aware of the fact that those time bombs are ticking out there. Uh, We are getting, uh, we're in mid-October now, and, you know, once we get through the month of November, if there's no resolution to this, we'll have another uh, time at the precipice, and we'll just have to to very watch it very carefully and, and see what happens when uh, the government and their elected officials get to that point. So let's move on to what's been the main topic of conversation for us for many, many months, and that is the vaccination mandate, actually weeks and months recently, the vaccination mandate that came out uh, from a presidential executive order. Uh, we've been getting bits and pieces of guidance from the White House and their Safer Workforce Group for several weeks now. And we have some new developments. And Duncan, I'd like you to catch us up on that. Yeah, I I was going through the IRS headlines from October 13th, as well as uh, the NTU website's uh, FAQs, and just some things I wanted to bring up to people to make sure everybody understands where we're at, where we're going. As of the 13th of October, more than 78% of IRS employees had been fully vaccinated. 95% had reported their status on HR Connect. And that's something that's very, very important because you want to make sure, even if you don't agree with the, again, I'm not talking about 
agreeing with the vaccination mandate, not agreeing with it. You know, everybody's going to have their own personal opinions. I understand that. I get that. I empathize. But if you're directed by your management to go into HR Connect and input your vaccination status and you do not follow that directive, you can be written up for insubordination and that can lead to discipline up to and including termination. So I want to make sure everybody's clear on that one. Reasonable accommodation requests. Here's, here's part of my favorite right now. Reasonable accommodation requests need to be in by October 22nd. That is one week from the day we're recording this. Next Friday is the date. Now, IRS is supposed to give templates and forms out there to be able to show what you need to do, where you need to go, that sort of thing. As of yet, they have not provided that. My advice now is do not wait. If you believe that you have a medical reasonable accommodation or a sincerely held religious belief that you believe is going to hold up for a religious accommodation, go ahead and submit those. Where you need to submit them, you're going to go, uh, and this information is on the story in the October 13th IRS headlines. Uh, you'd need to submit it to asterisk RA form 13661, and that's the form you'll need for the medical documentation at irs.gov. And for the religious, it's going to be asterisk EDI disability benefit, EDI disability branch, excuse me, at irs.gov. And again, both of those are linked on the October 13th IRS headline story about vaccinations. That's where I would recommend people get those. And I would go ahead and submit them. On the NTU website, for NTU members, another benefit, going to that FAQ line, that NAQ, FAQ page, easy for me to say on a Friday afternoon, you need to go down and take a look at the examples they give on the templates of exactly what you'll need. Because you're going to need documentation from a medical professional for a medical disability. And that's going to have to be quite specific as to exactly what medical conditions you have that would not permit you to get vaccinated. And I would also assume that the reasonable accommodation coordinators are going to ask for a form so that whoever the IRS uses for uh, medical verification, whether it be federal occupational health, FOH, or if they contract with somebody else for this, that they are able to talk to your doctor, doctor to doctor, to if they have any questions, which they probably will. On the, um, on the religious accommodations, you're going to have to have a great deal of documentation. Uh, it's not going to be that you don't agree with it. It's not going to be, you know, that you just don't think it's right, that you've heard that it's the sign of the beast or whatever it is. You're going to have to have documentation from a religious leader in your community, in your church, in your uh, whatever your place of worship is, that documents exactly why it's against the tenets of your religion for this. 
and going again, great specificity. So those are some things just to start off with. Uh, Larry, do you have any follow-ups on that? Uh, plenty. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I want to give it a pause for a second. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot to, to digest. And I think the big message here is that for a long time, you have been advising people to get all of your documentation together and wait. And now all of a sudden, without the form even being released, this is information has come out that there's what an October 21st deadline. Did I hear that correctly? I'm sorry, 22nd, October 22nd deadline to get it in without a form even being available. Now, if you look at those FAQs that NTU has on, on its website available to any NTU member, there is a long list of what you need to address in that, uh, uh, how should I put it, Re- request for reasonable accommodation due to sincere religious beliefs. So as I mentioned in a previous podcast, you can't just uh, have a quick statement from your local minister and turn it in. They're going to have to address a number of specifics, and those specifics are actually taken from the Safer Workforce Guidance, and that's just been recently added to the FAQs in the last day or two. Uh, so I think those are items to to look at. I guess the question I would ask you is, just for people who are listening, and you know, the thing about a podcast is if you listen, you can always go back and listen again if you need to write anything down. What guidance would you say people need to have as they prepare to uh, uh, to file for these uh, reasonable accommodation requests? Uh, what's in, in as much specificity as you have available to you? What will these uh, federal employees at the IRS need to submit to try to make their case for a reasonable accommodation, either medical or sincerely held religious belief? Um, with the medical, it's going to be fairly easy. They're going to need a statement, like I said, from their medical professional stating exactly why they can't get a, uh, you know, a a COVID immunization shot. Um, those are going to be very few and far between reasons. Um, but those are going to have to be spelled out and you're going to need that signed statement from your doctor. So your doctor is going to be having to put it on the line as well, because they're, I can tell you that if it doesn't look right, they're going to be questioned by whoever the IRS medical professionals are contracting with about this, because the federal government, the executive branch is very serious about these vaccinations, and they're going to want to make sure that the accommodations are done correctly for the religious um I would advise anybody to go on the NTU website, the FAQs, the templates that are on there have a lot of good information on exactly what's going to be needed um, for this. I can tell you that if, you know, you've been vaccinated previously, your children have been vaccinated for school, things of that nature, you're going to have a very tough time showing that you have a religious, a sincerely held religious objection uh, to this because you've had other vaccinations. Um, it's, it's going to be a very, very narrow range that you're going to have to be able to show in order to be able to get an approved reasonable accommodation. And even if you do get an approved accommodation, that accommodation might not be what you want. 
It's going to be what's reasonable for the agency. So that's another uh, piece of the puzzle to keep in mind. All very good advice. The other part of this is, and I want to emphasize this as well, you mentioned that in the uh, IRS headline story, there are very specific addresses within the IRS internal email system where you need to submit this request. Kind of go over that, don't, without having to go into the deal, where do you find the IRS headlines? I'm sure there are many employees who write, read them uh, regularly and some who probably ignore them entirely. So uh, if you need to see those IRS headlines to get those specific addresses where you email the reasonable accommodation request, how do you find that? Um, basically, if you uh, go into your email and just put up IRS headlines, it'll be in the October 13th one. It is the lead story. You just click on that link, go down, and it'll have the, uh, it'll have the links embedded there for the uh, medical and for the religious um, accommodation addresses. Now, I can tell you from what I've heard is that if you do send in the religious accommodation, you're going to get a message back saying, basically, thanks for your submission, but we can't answer any questions on it yet because we're still looking into this. <laughs> so it'll, it'll show that you've gotten it, they've gotten it, but don't be expecting any quick responses. Now, if you make a submission, an initial submission, um, and religious would be, a, it could be medical, but religious, my uh, religious beliefs might be even more so. Once you have made your submission and you receive more information, can you add that before the decision is made? Absolutely. You can send in information. I would imagine that because a lot of people, I know at least over 1,600 have sent in for accommodations already, and that information was probably about a week or so ago, so there's probably more now. You know, they're going to be asking for, they may ask you to redo it on a particular form. They may ask for, you know, more information on this. So once you've submitted it and keep that email that shows that you submitted it, that you sent it um, as proof of that, then if they ask for more or you need to amend your statement, you can get that taken care of. Well, let me ask it this way. Do we have, as an, I should have put this, I don't, as an agency, do we have as a federal government all the information that employees need to file these reasonable accommodation requests? Or are we still waiting on some specifics here? Okay, it sounded like you were looking for logic in the federal government, Larry. Is, is that what I'm hearing? I know you've been retired a while, but is that what I'm hearing? I uh, uh, I plead I plead guilty. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of those things where uh, the safer workforce has come out with guidance. They have come out with their templates, but then each agency is able to do their own, and we just have not heard in our particular case, you know whether it's IRS, CBP, any of the different agencies that IRS covers, we have not seen the templates for our particular agency. And for us, it's IRS in particular. And so that just makes it particularly bothersome when you have a deadline of a week from now and don't have exact specifics on how they want it submitted. All right. So do the best you can with the guidance out there. The best guidance as far as putting in your reasonable accommodation request would be the FAQs on the NTE website, which is available to any member who registers as a member on the nteu.org. So that's the best uh, 
guidance. And of course, I'm sure people will not hesitate to send you questions on, uh, on all this as it Ab- goes along. Absolutely. It's, and uh, happy to answer. Now I'm going to go a uh, little bit into some other op- areas of the vaccination timelines. I want to make sure everybody understands where your timeline is. And this is anybody in the executive branch. If you're getting the one shot from J&J, you must have it by November the 8th. So you're talking about the first shot, correct? Well, J&J is just one shot. Correct, but you're talking about either first or first I'll, of well, two. I'm going, to be, I'm going down the guidelines. Okay, I'm sorry. So I'm J- jumping ahead of you. Go ahead. Yes, you are, sir. Uh, <laughs> J&J is just the one single shot. has to be done by November 8th. If you're looking to get Pfizer, that has to be done, the first shot, by October 18th. So we are talking just a few days from now. So if you're doing Pfizer, get it done. If you're looking at doing Moderna, the date to start that was October the 11th to be able to to be fully vaccinated by that November 22nd date. So if you're, if you haven't yet and are considering the Moderna, go ahead and do it now. I believe if you go ahead and do it and can show that you've had that first shot, we'll still be okay. Even though you won't be fully vaccinated by that November 22nd date, but those are the the key dates that you have to have your first shot by. And then with, the Pfizer, it's about three weeks afterwards after your first shot. Moderna is about four weeks after. And you have to have those second shots timely as well. So, and again, this information is on the um, is on both the IRS headline story from October 13th and the NTU FAQs. So you want to make sure that, you know, if you're looking at Moderna or Pfizer, get that shot now. If you've been on the fence and thinking about it, get it done ASAP. A couple of other questions I wanted to hit. Antibodies. People have said, you know, well, I've had COVID. I've got antibodies. Is that okay? No, that's not a substitute. CDC has said that is not a substitute for being vaccinated. The Safer Workforce has said, no, that is not something that they're going to accept instead of a vaccination. If you've had COVID recently, you can ask for an accommodation. Your doctor may say, hey, I want them to wait two more weeks before they get the first uh, vaccination shot just because I want them to build up their antibodies a little bit, which is understandable. And that shouldn't be a problem in getting that accommodation. But that it should be something that's very rare. So antibodies or having COVID does not stop you from getting the vaccination. Um discipline. And when I say discipline, this could be anything from uh, a letter of counseling to a reasonable accommodation could start as early as November the 9th. That's why all these dates are important, because the way they're looking at November the 9th is if you haven't had your vaccination, either your second vaccination shot by November the 8th or the J&J by November the 8th, then you're not going to be fully vaccinated by that November 22nd date because it's two weeks afterwards. So if they if they can see on HR Connect that you either haven't filled it out 
or that you haven't been vaccinated, then that process can start as of November the 9th. So it's it's going to be coming up very quickly here, folks. And I just want to make sure everybody understands the timeframes they're looking at. And again, what they're going to be doing is they're going to be doing a somewhere between, again, we haven't been told this by IRS, um, but from what I'm understanding, from what I'm hearing from my sources, is they're going to be looking at first a letter of counseling to a reasonable accommodation, or a letter of counseling to um, getting you a reprimand. If you haven't gotten your shot within five days after that, they're going to be proposing a two-week suspension. And if you get the two-week suspension, then, um, you know, you can, and if this is, if your reasonable accommodation is going on, hasn't been decided while this is going on, they can still, pro they're still going to try and process it. From, again, what I'm hearing, we don't know that for sure, but that's what I've heard. If your reasonable accommodation is denied during this process and you appeal the reasonable accommodation, they're going to go ahead with this discipline because they're going to say your reasonable accommodation has been denied. We are telling you that you need to be vaccinated as part of this emergency action, which is what the president's declaration is all about. So then you can, um, you know, they can discipline while this is being appealed. So it's just very important to adhere to these deadlines because after these, you know, after a two week suspension, if you still have not, taking steps to start getting vaccinated, then you're going to be looking at termination. Now, the other parts of this are if you get a, if you get a two week suspension and you usually get an award, that award's going to be gone. It's out. It's done because they're going to look at this as uh, part of the misconduct screening that they do. So not only would you cost yourself the two weeks, but you would also cost yourself the um, the fact that you wouldn't be getting an award, which with the awards going up to 2%, could be a considerable sum as well. And the other thing I've heard is, will they take my pension if I don't get the vaccination and I get fired? No. You, again, this was covered in the NTU FAQs. It has to be something, uh, a huge crime, treason, something of that nature for them to take your retirement away. So you'd still be entitled to your retirement when you're eligible if you are terminated for not getting vaccinated. And if you're not eligible for retirement at the time of the termination, basically you just get your contributions back. Isn't that uh, the way it works? Uh, well, you can leave them in there. It depends on if you've been here for five years or not. Well, if you've true. been here for five years, you can leave it in there. Uh, still get your, uh, you know, the TSP at that, you know, later time and your uh, your retirement once you hit age 62. Okay, so you've been here five years, there's a possibility of some sort of retirement down the road, even if you leave. Or, Correct. So, and the other part is if you're close to retirement, um, how does that work? If you're close to retirement, but not quite there? Yeah, basically they have said, because originally... Uh, NTU was pushing and saying, look, if somebody's going to be retiring at the end of the year and they don't want to get vaccinated, why is it that we're going to be going after these people if they're going to be leaving anyway in a month or so? Um, originally, the safer workforce was saying, no, it doesn't matter. Now they've said, if you're going to be on leave, 
basically, if you're going to be on leave from November the 9th until the date you retire, then no action will be taken. So if you're planning on retiring on December 31st, you'd have to be on leave from November the 9th to December 31st before they'd start taking action to stop them from taking action. That's a very interesting point because in the past, management has not been prone to approve leave right before you retire. They used to call that terminal leave. I don't know if they still call it that. And that was frowned upon. Uh, now, perhaps that's changed. No, it hasn't changed. <laughs> uh, that was that was what was interesting about the advice on that. It's like, okay, so if they take terminal leave, but they're not supposed to take terminal leave, and again, it's just one of the fun contradictions of the federal government. Um, I, I was thinking that uh, the safer workforce was looking at this as a short-term thing. If you're looking at retiring around Thanksgiving of this year, uh, then maybe they, you know, and going to be on leave from November 22nd to Thanksgiving, then they uh, wouldn't have to do that. And have I, to start the process. And I'm guessing there are situations nobody's even thought about yet. Uh, <laughs> I, there are so many variables out there. I don't think anybody is, can contemplate all of them. Um, I think this is going to be a, uh, a huge, huge deal. I think that they're going to get many more accommodation requests than they originally realized. I don't know how they're going to be able to do these quickly and timely. Um, and that's going to be playing a part in employees discipline. So, and, and again, I think that it's going to be, and, you know, people said, well, you know, I know my manager or I know my boss's boss and they like me and they'll be okay. This is going to be decided at a much higher level. This might not even be decided at IRS. It's very possible they could be taking a look at this at treasury. So it's not, it's going to be out of everybody's hands in IRS or, you know, in will be some executive that you don't know. So don't count on, you know, the friendships that you form, the help that you've given some a management official in the past to help you out on this, because they're going to be very, very standardized in their requests. They're going to have to be because they don't want to see a bunch of, um, you know, basically saying, hey, that's an equitable treatment and coming from all over the country. They, they are smart enough to realize that. I think we could go on for two more hours, but we better cut, <laughs> it off, cut it off here. And I'm sure you will continue to get questions about this, although you are one of those people uh, scheduling your use or lose leave. So you'll be taking some leave if you're not available. Check with another steward. Our chief steward, uh, Gail Groves, is, is, of course, generally available. Before we go, a couple of quick hits. First of all, the open season is coming closer for health care plans uh, when does open season begin and end? Uh, open season ends in November the 8th, or open season ends. Open the season starts on November the 8th, ends in the middle of December. And again, uh, as we've talked about, for NTU members, we'll have the consumer's checkbook, which is a really great tool. And I urge everybody to take a look at their health plan. There's one big one. I'm not going to mention any healthcare plan names. Great healthcare. Great plan, but very expensive compared to others where you get similar benefits, similar prescription costs, similar things, you know. So I urge everybody check with your doctor's office, take a look, see what uh, coverages they do accept, 
because you may be surprised and you can save yourself some money and we'll get more into this once open season uh, is open. Yeah. I, Duncan, you're a one man most in need of a little vacation. So <laughs> <laughs> please feel free to take some. You're, you've been uh, you've been a busy guy. All this is really, I mean, all chapter presidents, I'm sure, with all the vaccination mandate issues on top of everything else you deal with on a regular basis has been tough. I want to mention quickly that uh, we did receive uh, information on cost of living, or COLA, which is, is an acronym COLA for cost of living. The cost of living adjustment will be the biggest in many, many years, since about 2008 or nine, for Social Security and CRS retirees, 5.9%, just a tick below 6%. But one thing that everyone needs to know, if you retire on FERS, if Inflation gets over a certain level. I think it's like two some percent. See, they're they're together if it's a low inflation rate. When we get this high, FERS is limited. Then what they call the diet cola, and the FERS uh, uh, change is going to be four point nine percent. You get an increase, but it's a percentage point less than uh, what CSRS and Social Security. Of course, most people on FERS also get Social Security, but I think everybody just needs to be aware of that. Absolutely. And, you know, there, this is different. The cost of living is based on, um, you know, the inflation where our pay raises are not. Our pay raises are dictated by what the president proposes and what Congress passes. So, you know, people are saying, why is our pay raise low compared to what retirees are getting? Well, there are some times where we're getting a higher pay raise than they are getting for inflation. So, the, the two are not tied together, and I think that's important for everybody to know as well. Yeah, in recent years, as a 10-year retiree, I can tell you that <laughs> our COLA has been much lower than your pay raises. This is a this is a an unusual year in that sense, but uh, and we still don't know what the pay raise will be next year. Is that correct? Correct. We're uh, we keep hearing two point six, um, but we're you know there are others in Congress that are still looking at passing uh, something higher. But we're just still in the waiting game because we don't have a budget yet. So that's going to be part of the budget. One last thing we want to talk about. Uh, somebody I have known for many years, uh, both the, since I, as I was a federal employee and since I've retired, Gail Groves, our uh, chief steward for Chapter 49, is celebrating 36 years of government service. Something I never got to. I got to 28 years and retired. Of course, I had a career before IRS, but that we'll leave that aside. Gail Groves has now been with IRS for 36 years. That's a very long time. Yeah, when she told me about that this morning, I sent her an email saying, congratulations or condolences, however you want to look at it. And I think for uh, all the work that Gail does, it depends on the day. But she does a uh, great job, and the federal government is very lucky to have had her for these 36 years and however many more she works. So we just wanted to say quite an accomplishment and thank you for all you do. Yes. And I would uh, dovetail that. I've known Gail for years. She's a great worker and does good work for NTU as well. And congratulations on 36 years of service. That is definitely something to celebrate. Um, Any last uh, shot before we wrap this up? I just want everybody to be out there, be safe, you know, you know, it COVID is real, Delta is real. Do what is best for you and your family, however that is. If you find that getting the shot is unconscionable to you, I understand that it's a personal decision, but just understand 
that due to the nature of the executive order, that that very well could have ramifications on you and your family. I just want to make sure everybody's clear on that. But yeah. just... Yep. Yeah, good comment. Do what you can. Thanks for that comment. But I just want to say one quick thing. I I don't often watch these videos. I'd rather not see myself on video. But I noticed. I just want everyone to know that I I'm not you. My eyes look a little shifty. It's not uh, shifty eyes. I'm looking. I'm controlling the uh, various uh, audio controls. So I'm not just being a. It looked like I'm a kind of a shifty individual. There is a reason <laughs> for that. I've got audio here and there so please bear with my my shifty eyes as i try to especially at the beginning and end of the of the podcast this happens quite often you just heard duncan giles he's our chapter president for chapter 49 and we want to welcome we appreciate the fact you've listened and if you like this podcast let other people know this podcast is available on just about uh, any audio podcast platform spotify uh, on, uh, uh, on, I'm trying to think of all of them. It's a, we uh, SoundCloud is one of them. Uh, we're also on Apple Podcasts and and a number of others. All the most of the popular podcast platforms we're on. Just uh, all you have to do is search under podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. You'll see all the different podcasts I produce. Uh, the Chapter 49 podcasts on that list, you'll see you'll see them there. You can access the most recent, most recent ones there. And if you like, uh, for some reason, seeing myself, I don't want to why, John Duncan and I do have video version available on YouTube. Just uh, search under Duncan Giles, and you can subscribe to his YouTube channel. So we again appreciate the fact that you watch and listen this to this podcast. And again, if uh, all goes well, we'll be back next week with another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. In the meantime, my name's Larry Lannon. Please be safe and be kind.